Hey, what's up? So, Avalanche. Let's talk about it. What's, what's an avalanche? The snow comes down real fast, fierce, gains momentum. But I'm not talking about the natural disaster. Or if it's not really a disaster, I guess, if no one's around. But anyways, avalanche. What is it? You've heard about it. Now you're going to hear some more. It's an open source platform for launching decentralized finance applications, right? DeFi. That's what you want. Developers who build on Avalanche can easily create powerful, reliable, secure applications and custom blockchain networks with complex rule sets or build an existing private or public subnet. Right. I think what you should do right now is stop what you're doing. Even if it's listening to this podcast, stop, pull over, go to the gas station if you need to go to a subway. There's a subway like everywhere. There's always a subway. All right. Right, there's always a Kroger. Just stop in a parking lot somewhere. Go to avalabs.org to learn more. All right, stop. Go to avalabs. That's A V A Labs, L A B S.org. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. What's up? What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode 327, Corey and Jesse. 327. Uh, I'm the host that talks first, D. I am another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm the third host, Jesse Broke. That's right. Second host doesn't contribute in our numbering uh, structure, I'll but your, I'll subscribe to your numbering scheme. But it is what it is. We can all count. <laughs> um, how was you guys this week? Busy, good. yeah, Not bad, but busy. Uh, yeah, it's about it. I can't. I, I'm trying to think back of the week and figure out what I did or what happened, and it's a blur. So like. I know things happened, but I can't really point to what happened. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Jesse? About the same. I got stuff done. I got yep. specifics, baby. So, yeah. um, yes, I do. Uh, I either am going to buy several or make several pit smokers. They're amazing. So I've been using Why this you, pit smoke. Hold huh? up. Why do you need multiple of them? Uh, cook a lot of meat. You don't. What? How much meat are you cooking if you need multiple pit smokers? Well, I mean. Who's eating all that meat? Well, I mean, like uh, people that I 
know where I live. They come, I we go to each other's abodes, and we eat smoked meats. You know, so I was like, well, shit, man, this pit smoking is easy. It's fun, and the meat tastes great. So I want like two or three of these joints. It's like a it's like a social event. Yeah, I mean, just cooking those things. Oh yeah, uh, man. Put like eight racks of ribs on those bad boys and just let it ride. Excessive. Oh yeah, it's very excessive. Uh, but still, like, it's great. And so I was like, man, I'm going to buy one. And then I looked and I was like, man, they're really proud of their pit smokers. So then I was like, oh, look how to build it. It's not difficult to build either. And I happen to have the toolery to do that. So I was like, oh, shit. Well, I might build some pit smokers. So build it out of like a steel drum. Yeah. Yeah. Steel drums aren't too pricey. I do know how to weld, actually. I welded our uh, mining rig, the mining rig that I had in Central Texas. (laughs) I forgot. Yeah. Put on a welder's hat and everything. You have a welder? I do have a welder at the shop. Yes. Oh, yeah. You have access to like a a shop. That's nice. I I actually, uh, funny story. That's completely kind of tangential and happenstance. Uh, I was driving on the road to a friend's house the other day and saw a pit smoker on the side of the road for free. <laughs> Why did you just take it? it? I did. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. Yeah, I put it back. Like Aaron scoffed as I loaded that motherfucker in the back of my truck and we took it home. It's got a little rust. It's got to need some repair. I don't have a welder, but it's a, it's a great little machine who's throwing the stuff away that's the perfect story like yeah i found that on the side of the road yeah and it's it's just a little like that high heat spray paint little like rust repair maybe a handle maybe a handle or two Hmm. and then you could season them incoming you you season them to prevent the the ash from sticking to the side i didn't know this so when you get it and you clean it out um you have to like you you spray this like oil and then you cook the with the oil in there and then yeah I didn't know that so I know that now like I'm really iron. getting into pit cast iron I don't think you do it like sheet iron like sheet metal that's what the cheaper ones are made of mm-hmm. that's a cast iron process yep. I mean, anyway welcome to Bitcoin yeah. yeah oh yeah so this shows about big uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency audience so you know you know thanks for joining the Slack. New guys that joined the Slack. Hold we on, I feel like, like I got a sign up this week. We got like five signups. I'd say we did. That's wild, bro. We're out I don't here. Know. I don't know. I don't stats. I don't think it was but five. I think it was like two or three. But it was like sixteen or maybe even twenty. It was seventy thousand people actually joined. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to look who was. Let me scroll up. A lot of talking going on though. I'm doing a lot of scrolling here. I think we're picking up on the I old mean, Slack activity. I mean. Uh, Slacktivity. I had I had a podcast with uh, on hashing it out, and that'll be released soon. Sorry, Alicia, for not uploading that audio yet. Uh, with Fetch AI on hashing it out. So, uh, in the process of that conversation, um, he had mentioned an article that he had written previously a while back. I don't know when exactly he wrote it. Uh, Toby Simpson from Fetch AI uh, about the consequences of being your own bank. So like we use that motto a lot in this, or like that phrase a lot in this ecosystem, be your own bank, right? So he talks a lot of, he talks a lot about the consequences and 
subtle responsibilities that are part of of being your own bank. Like, yeah, it's it's all, it's really powerful to have that power and the ability to do that in this ecosystem, which is why a lot of people like push for it. But there are a lot of responsibilities and consequences associated with it that don't get talked about much, which people aren't ready for. So the article goes into about that as well as like a few ways in which you can boost your security or uh, kind of manage that power appropriately and responsibility, um, which I posted in the Slack, which then became like a conversation piece around it, which then led to the talking points of this show because I wrote an article on it. Well, based on one of the questions, which we can get to in a moment. But like, is there something about that article you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah, just specifically about people trying to be their own bank and how incredibly naive the entire industry was in setting that up as like our our brand, our brandable moment is that like, yeah, I don't need a bank. I'll be my own bank. I mean, let's just be honest. No. Like nobody, like that's a really tough undertaking. Undertaking, um, and I think that the gross oversimplification of crypto people of acting as if that is a simple undertaking is kind of um, it can be damaging to the entire industry. You know, like I, I don't know. I always use my brother and my sister in law as examples. Highly intelligent individuals but living a life that doesn't mean that they need to be that hyper-focused with how the behavior of their money is doing anything. And their security practices are um, asking to reset their password. That's their security. You're secu- putting your family on blast right now. Well, that is what it is. I mean, <laughs> that's their security. They don't listen to my show. If they listen to my show, they would say something, but they don't listen. So... Uh, I mean, that's their security practices. Like, oh shit, I can't get into my bank account today. Let me just reset my password. Like, that's their, that's their that's their security practice, right? So, if you take some individuals like that and multiply it by millions, because that's what exists out there, then no one is gonna be their own bank, and no one wants to sign up for that kind of um, rigidity of processes in order to access their 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 money. Jesse, you have any feelings towards that? I have a lot. I was actually actually looking into how, um, I guess, you know, JP Morgan for a long time, they said, you know, crypto's not going to be a thing that's here to stay. And then they came out with Quorum and then Quorum got uh, acquired by Consensus. And then they funded, they being JP Morgan, funded Consensus on the down low. And it just seems like, financial institutions are kind of playing like a slow game where we're just on the down low kind of getting our tendrils into crypto exchanges, which will eventually probably become banks at some point Mm -hmm. uh, for not only to leverage the payment rails that they've been working on to connect them to, you know, their traditional institution um, payment rails, and it's like the settlement rails too. Like the, everything is like, there's a, there's a project. I, I can't remember the name, but they, they connect all, I think there's like 10,000 banks in the U S and every one of them has their own unique way of how they store their data and how they, you know, send it out, take it in. So it's just, 
like like going back to what you guys are saying, like being your own bank, you know, you can hold your crypto in a hardware wallet, great. But when it comes to spending it, you're not going to be able to spend that on like Amazon directly from your hardware wallet. You're going to have to utilize old payment rails. And those old payment rails are going to be bridged by all these companies that come in between like, let's say Coinbase and like your, your, your local bank, your regional bank. Cause the regional bank that you have, isn't going to be developing all this software. They're going to be making partnerships with these crypto intermediaries that are coming in between like Coinbase and Kraken and whatever Bitfinex. I don't even know if Bitfinex is still a thing anymore, but it's there's going to be like intermediaries between intermediaries, just to go from your hard wallet, hardware mm-hmm. wallet for you to spend your money. So like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't foresee middlemen disappearing anytime soon in the whole process of you spending your money to get the product that you want or service that you want. I don't foresee middlemen disappearing at all ever. Um, just based on the fact that kind of what you just said, like the mass broad audience is going to want to not care about things. And there's going to be need, there's going to, there's going to be a need for companies to abstract away some of the complexity and risk and understanding of utilizing this technology and making it really, really simple for those people. But what I think is a differentiator here or what like the novelty is or, and, and kind of the, the underlying mantra of the original phrase to be your own bank, at least the way I interpret it is you now have an option to do this if you want to, whereas previously you never had that option. If I don't want to use those services, I can do it myself. I can, I can, I can do everything myself if I want to, and I get to choose what options i offload some of my personal risk or responsibility to, uh, based on an agreement I have with whatever that service is. I'm not forced into some contract that I'm, I don't either, I get to use the server. I get to do something or not. And I, and I think that's the like importance here is that I have access to banking financial services with, with, which is 100% under my control. And I can selectively choose to offload some of that to someone else if I want to, depending on how much time or inclination or risk or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference. And that that then, at the very least, if no one even does this, or the vast majority of people don't do this, it forces those services to like play by the rules because there's always a risk of flight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real novelty is an underlying mechanism to keep people accountable because there's a much better risk of flight as opposed to being like forced in a, into a specific contract. Yeah. I think that is the neat thing, but I also feel like it would just be a slow process for if we, if we did have that public auditability and we designed a way using crypto to hold these institutions accountable, then they would just find a different way to lie. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> I mean, that's just what they would do. Uh, so one thing that I can say, and let me put on my Negro Domus hat right now, is that 
I said these words literally on the show, and I've said it several times. But I'm going to say it again for the new listeners in the audience. I know there's at least 10 of you. Uh, <laughs> what wealth does is they sit in a position so high on the mountain that they can see all the untraversed paths. And when they see one starting to be traversed, they can get there really quickly on their helicopters. And then they will go to that path and they will say, okay, everyone, don't go this way. It's really dangerous. Go that way. And everyone will go, oh, okay, you must know. They've been going that way for a long time. And by the time the public says, oh, wait, the wealthy people told us to go the wrong way. We need to go back. By the time you go back and get to that fork in the road, They've already paved it and they've put up toll booths and now you have to pay them to access what was the better route. That's what wealthy it's a good people analogy. do. I think, it's, I think that's a reasonable analogy for I've people to kind of wrap their minds around. I've said it many times and that's what the financial industry, that's what the financial industry um, does time and time again. And that's you think they do it under the guise of protecting the end user? Absolutely. Or, or but, but. Is there an aspect of them actually protecting the end user ever? I'd say there um, is. Maybe. In this case, like there are lots of scams in crypto. So they're saying, oh, crypto's bad, bro. Crypto is real, real bad. It's bad. Don't go crypto way. Go that way. But now look, at they're all doing a 180 very publicly. Like, hey, crypto's not so bad after all. You should actually use it via our tools. <laughs> you should come. You should use it via the way we say you should use it and then we're just going to take a 0.5% fee whatever but you know you should use our roads that's that's what, that's what they that's what they do and some industries don't have that much money for example um the uh, entertainment industry does not have as much wealth as much massive wealth to pivot when new technologies like Netflix and Spotify and Napster come across they can't get to the road and say, uh-uh, don't go this way, go that way. And then by the time you figure out you're going the wrong way, we're going to build nice roads and put up toll booths and stuff like that. They didn't have that kind of money. Blockbuster, the the movie industry is now being critically affected by the, the current uh, state of the world. Um, the music industry just got totally fucked by Napster. And now Spotify is pretty much trying to do what the, the financial industry is currently doing to crypto. So it's like, that's what the banks are going to do. And slowly but surely, like one day in the next three years, you're going to open up your Bank of America or your Chase or your Wells Fargo account. And there's going to be pretty little notifications that say, hey, do you want to either A, sync your crypto wallet via Coinbase or Gemini to our portal? Or do you want to start up a new one and we'll show you how? But meanwhile, they're hiding all of the money that they're leeching from those processes away from the user and just putting out great commercials with people smiling and interracial families. So that's that's I don't think that they're going to be getting the, the lion's share of the of the fees. No, they don't want the lion's share. They just want enough to keep their wealth foundation under wraps and protected from diverse situations. I'll, I'll just I'll just play devil's advocate and say that. I think they're actually going to slowly die off. And then I'll say that like new institutions like Coinbase will, will eventually replace them. I think you're right. And the reason yeah. I think you're right is not anything of my own thoughts, but there's this guy, damn it. He's a black guy, so I should know who he is. 
You're kidding. supposed to know all black guys? I'm supposed to know all black people. I'm out of tune. I'm, I have no desire to know all white guys. Or <laughs> no, no, no. Zero. He's, Absolutely um, zero. <laughs> he he's he's pretty renowned because he predicted the 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 housing collapse in 2008. Really smart guy. He's got a deep voice, mustache. He looks like I feel the like dude I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember his name here. He kind of looks like me, except for taller and skinnier. Um, and he said that what the financial industry is going to have to do in order to he said this like eight years ago is in order to keep pace with crypto, they're going to have to cannibalize some of their own revenue streams. And that's basically what you just said, Jesse, is they're going to take some L's in order for the bigger upside. So they're going to like close down some branches, close down processes, close down a bunch of stuff and just eat themselves in order to stay. Stay relevant. Yeah, I think they're going to go the way of Blockbuster. If they yeah. don't adapt appropriately or they're not, not, they or, adapt, or, or, they're not, they're not building they the software. Yeah. So I, I kind of what you said earlier, like. They may have built these roads that are so far that they themselves can't even go back and repave new ones because mm. they're they're reliant upon them. Uh, I want to switch gears into um, the questions that came from the article that stemmed this conversation we just had. Y'all cool with that? Switch gears, bro. Push in the clutch. Hit the stick. Wrap that up. Yeah. So like. The article mentioned how to move your assets to a, a hardware uh, wallet, namely a ledger or something. And one of the questions in the Slack um, asked about some security issues, like security concern of um, hardware wallets and ledger. So like the question, which I'll read here, uh, says, uh, Corey, thanks for sharing. Interesting read. As a non-technical noob, I'm fairly confident of my Ledger wallet setup if my small bag uh, extends or more. So he's happy that he's comfortable that his Ledger's fine and it's safe, assuming that his, his bag grows. However, the thing that I'm worried about is a retirement attack where a Ledger employee has pre-uploaded thousands of seeds where he, she is waiting till there's around <laughs> 1 billion and takes it all. From what I have heard, only a... I guess a phrase's 25th word can prevent this. This is too technical, so I haven't done it. Same with multi-sig. How worried should I be of this? Anything I can do? So question has a few parts of it. I wrote an article on a website that I'm trying to build out where I'm writing more um, that kind of explains this, but I wanted to do it here too, which, uh, so like, if you don't know what a seed phrase is, uh, read the initial article that started this kind of how to be your own bank. It describes what that is in, I think, a really uh, friendly way. A too long didn't read is it's the passphrase that you have that derives all the keys you use in crypto. It's if you have this, you can recover all of the keys you use on a hardware wallet. So when you when you get a hardware wallet, start setting it up, it asks you to back up the seed phrase, which it gives you, which is 24 words. And then that then becomes the seed, that's why it's called a seed phrase, to all of the key material that gets generated on that device. So if you lose your device, you can put that seed phrase in a new ledger and you can have all your money. You didn't lose anything, 
or like you, you know, it breaks or you drop it in the ocean or some shit. You didn't lose your money because you have the ability to regenerate all of the information on a new device. But if someone gets it, they then have the ability to regenerate it on a device, meaning they have access to all of your keys with some caveats that I may get to here. So in order for the so-called retirement attack that's laid out by the question, the employee would need to have access to pre-uploaded seed phrases during the ledger manufacturing process. That can't happen because ledger does not preload seed phrases on devices before they're shipped out. They're generated when you turn it on and start the initiation phase. So if it doesn't have one in its memory, it will generate one on a local true random number generator on the device right there and then give it to you. If you're not comfortable with that process, you could also not use it and recover from a seed phrase that you, you've, you've created yourself. You can just put in a seed phrase that you've made yourself if there's any other trusted mechanism and use that instead. So like the concept of an employee sending out a bunch of ledgers with the free seed phrases they already has can't happen. Now, there are situations where people will buy ledgers initiate them and then resell them with the seed phrase there. This is a scam. So if you ever get a ledger that has a seed phrase attached to it, it is a scam. Do not use it. That means you should also always buy your hardware devices from the manufacturer or like the company itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, or like, or, or like an official official distributor that should be listed on the, on the, on the website. Uh, that's so fucking sneaky. It bugs me. It is. You get it because people don't understand this type of process. They don't. Right? They're just going to. Additionally, oh. here's, here's an additional thing that a lot of people don't know. Um, so what I just described is kind of like standard, I guess, knowledge of hardware devices. That's the reason you use them. Information never never gets put on them. And it's never, never leaves them. And it generates it all inside the device itself and secure elements. But uh, there's an additional security measure when you go through the initial initiation phase of a hardware wallet. Uh, and this is based on like how keys are derived. This isn't specific to any given implementation or hardware device. You have the option of adding a password or a pin to your seed phrase when you set it up. Now, the keys that get derived from then on are dependent upon the passphrase you use. So if you change your password, all of your keys will be different. So the derivation path, like the deterministic way in which it makes new keys is dependent upon the passphrase you use on the ledger. So if someone happened to get your seed phrase, but not your password, they couldn't get your keys unless they also figured out what your password was. Mm. It's an additional security measure. And that's not one of those situations. Whereas like if they weren't attached, they don't need your password. That's very, very important to understand. Also, you can do curtain, you can do uh, fun things like uh, have multiple sets of accounts based on passphrases. So like, if you wanted like an emergency, like dummy account, you put it in a certain passphrase and it'll expose a different set of keys with like things you could give away in case you're mugged. You don't lose all your funds. I'm saying like, I don't know the passphrase or something like that. That's what kind of what the technology allows. Uh, the multi-sig is a separate thing. Uh, typically, that's a completely, it's just like 
it's one account owned by multiple people or multiple multiple other accounts. Uh, and best practice is one of those accounts that owns a multisig that has the sign for a transaction to be valid should be on a hardware wallet. So a ledger will control one of a certain number of accounts that then all need to kind of approve to get any transaction to go through on the on the on like the holder account. So, and the, the article we'll put in the description um, details of this a little bit more. Uh, I hope that answers the question. Y'all have questions based on that? Does that make sense? Yeah, we already went through this. We actually went through this for Algorand. Yeah. Their derivation process is pretty. It's the same. Yeah. It's all, like all crypto own... is most of it, like for, for like 99%, the same technology based on uh, Bitcoin, bit, bit, like a couple of bits around Bit39. Now, yeah. I understand. That's like how incredibly large 24 to the 2048 is. However, why wouldn't developers, security developers specifically, you, Corey, use different groupings, different sets of 2048 words alphabetically from A to Z? Why wouldn't you use one 2000? There's lots of words. Why wouldn't you use like three to four different sets of 2048? So then you have 24 to the 2048 times three, like an even bigger infinity. Is it strictly based because of the computation? It's unnecessary. Plus, you want a standard around the words. Um, yeah, so that I, can be used. They can be used across every wallet. And right now, there's there's different dictionaries of in terms of. Uh, there are multiple dictionaries, but it's the languages. So there are like multiple languages of 2048 words in which you can do this. Um, and they all map to the same keys. I don't based know on, I... Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. But like it, it's enough. It's enough entropy. You don't need anymore. It's unnecessary. So like why complicate the standard that introduces risk of wallets screwing it up or implementing it incorrectly so you can't wallets around well, i mean you don't complicate the standard you just add add more words to the standard don't need them it's unnecessary it's it's, it's such an a, a, an absurdly large number that it doesn't matter i just think humans break shit in absurd ways maybe i'm being over they're, they're not breaking that part there's so many other ways in which you can screw it up that's not the part to make more complex i i i'll back down I well just put your shit on Coinbase like a normal human and then reset your password whenever you no, I'm no, no, okay. <laughs> let's let's build the banks of the future. Let's start today. You know, um so one last thing. This has been a this is gonna be a really long episode. You're fucking welcome. Uh but one last thing I want to talk to you is this SRO that the Winklevi have been approved to begin this justice league of crypto juggernauts that have been given the approval to build a self-regulating organization an sro an official thing as identified and agreed upon by the united states government specifically the cftc to self-regulate cryptocurrency and different cryptocurrency uh, things. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Half of me is very excited. The other half of me is very flaccid. Um, I'm trying to 
understand what that could even mean but essentially what it what it looks like is going to be the coin bases the gemini's the poloniexes the andries and Howerwitzes of the world are going to be able to create this justice league of regulation to catch things before they hit our regulators desk their inbox i don't know Half of me is excited because I love Justice League. <laughs> Half of me is it's like, mm, this seems like it can get really walled gardeny really fast. So, I don't know. I guess that depends on what the inclusivity of the set of people in the league is, and who and who their audience is, who who their customer is, and what. Uh, kind of responsibilities they have to the customer. That's going to dictate a lot of kind of the agreed upon regulation that they that they they come to. Jesse, did you hear what I heard? No. What did in inclusivity? <laughs> Jesse is in a different world right now. Looking at his face, and he is he is in the Not stars. Right. Reading about the SRO stuff. Um, so basically, for you those of you that are a familiar with, uh, see, every once in a while when I'm on my lunch break, I get a little crypto notification. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, so basically, a self-regulated organization is created in order to regulate an industry in order to uh, streamline and set a quicker pace on certain things that are needed from the industry uh, as they relate in- to finance. For example... Bitcoin and Ether need an ETF. Why do I say they need an ETF? Because when you have an ETF, you expose a certain thing, commodity, to uh, an enormous upside, upswing in volume from so many different diverse uh, people and things that all of a sudden you have this um, reliable commodity, reliable financial product that can establish future gains for future people. ETFs are a great thing. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't have an ETF, an exchange traded fund uh, in the States. I think it has them overseas, uh, but not in the States. So um, where's GBTC located? GBTC is in the States. I think it's in New York to be specific. And that's Barry Silbert's thing. Mm -hmm. And that's a similar situation. What's the difference there? Do you know? It's not an exchange traded fund. It's just an invest. It's just a. It's just like an. It's. A, I think it's just an investment fund, which is the subtleties like there. How, how the like? There's got to be similar regulation around that. Like I don't. I don't understand the differences between the two. But I feel uh, like similar. I feel like you're right, and quite frankly, I don't think I know the subtlety either. But what I do know. Barry Silver on. Can't do it, bro. Too many people talk about why etc sucks and why he's doing so much work on grayscale <laughs> i don't i mean we could try at least let's please try to get barry silbert on but last Audience, time i tried to get him on, in there let's uh let's pull your weight see if we can get barry silbert on the show to talk about all things barry silbert yeah we don't do many calls to action how about you guys tweet barry silbert to get him on the show we've been like we you know trying to get a hold of him for a while but usually he's like uh, reach out to my uh, PR department, and they're like, no, "That's like, standard." I get that, but then they're always like, "I'm sorry, Barry Silbert's schedule is jam-packed, filled of uh, you know, you know, 
artisanal bread and shit that you can't imagine. So why don't you get the fuck out of here? Say that because is that a white thing? No, it's a rich thing. That's what it is. I think it's a white thing. I would, it is? I would say that as a white thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to offend. My wife buys artisanal bread. I had some artisanal. <laughs> I don't take any offense to it. I'm so offended. Artisanal I bread. Any, I take zero offense to it. <laughs> I had some artisanal bread last night. It was mad delicious. I'm not going to lie to you. What um, kind of bread? I don't know. I don't it's fucking know. It's fancy, it. bro. It's got fucking seeds in it. So it's special. Yeah. You hear You hear Declan in the background? I do. Sometimes yeah. the seeds... Are so perfectly crispy, Jesse. I can't explain it. It's like, what kind of seed is this? What 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 tree is birthed from this seed that it tastes this good eating? That's probably why there's not very many of this tree around because we just keep eating all the fucking seeds. Like, it's delicious. Um, so wait, I have a question. Going back to what you were saying about the SRO that Coinbase initiated, is that an American SRO or is that them joining? Because I Okay, I think it's uh, it's as American as Korean barbecue, my friend. Okay, because it looks like they were a part of uh, a Jap a Japanese version. They recently joined it, I guess. Maybe. No, I think this is one they've been approved to start for America. Okay. Yep. Interesting. All right. Sorry, that's not a good American comparison. As American as owning a gun. Wait. That's American. Sweden, Swedish people, they get one. They get to keep their gun, right? Post uh Swedish people? Post service, yeah. Um, no, I'm pretty sure having a gun is a uniquely American thing. They go in at 19, I think they get to keep their gun. That's 100% not true. Nope, only us, only us. We get guns. <laughs> We're the only place that gets guns. Uh all right. Uh, after the interview, it's been we've been talking for a while. So this interview is from John Light. He's actually the inspiration uh, for um, the song back in the day by the reggae master himself. Uh, just gave me the light. And he speaks to being the inspiration for that song. And he also speaks to why being that inspiration helped him contribute so heavily towards um, Aragon, which if you don't know, what Aragon is, it is a, um, shit, my mind just completely went blank in describing Wow. It. But yeah, Aragon helps you build DAOs and helps you build basically streamlined organizational optimization and why that those are words that are large. And when you put them together, it makes one larger word, but basically like, you know, Business entities have to have organizational structure for lots of things, communication, and the communication also branches out into different types of communication, operational, sales-based communication, financial-based communication. You have to have um, well-understood structures for these things to happen in order for an organization to work well. DAO, Distributed Autonomous Organization, is one that's supposed to allow entities from all over to contribute to the process of being part of an organization um, really easily. Uh, so uh, we allow, we, he came on the show. It's a pretty dope interview. I'm actually really excited about for you guys to hear this one. And if you want to start a DAO after the show, you should join the Slack so we can direct you to Aragon's website. 
but you should join the Slack first. Right. So go to the Bitcoin join the Slack and do all the things, uh, you know, please. You know, some people join the Slack, you should join it, too. And then, uh, yeah. Here it is. Hey, everybody. Got a fun interview for you today. Uh, I actually have Jesse and Dee with me for this interview, and we are going to be talking with John Light from Aragon. John, say what's up to everybody. Uh, tell everybody what you do, what Aragon is real quick, and then we'll just start going. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, my name is John Light, and I work at the Aragon Association on Aragon Network Governance. And right now, um, we are kind of in a transitionary period. Um, the, the project started out with a, with a crowd sale back in 2017. Um, well, the project really started off with a, with a beta version of the software that ran on testnet. A bunch of people were excited about that. Um, and then, and then the founders did a crowd sale. Um, the money went to a nonprofit, um, called the Aragon Association, um, which is, which is who I work for. And uh, right now we're kind of in the transition period where we're moving from a more founder or association centric kind of project to kind of giving it to the community and, and going the DAO route. So we're kind of um, dog fooding a little bit using Aragon to actually um, bootstrap the Aragon project itself. Um, but uh, for folks who don't know, Aragon is a platform for creating and running um, organizations and decentralized protocols on the blockchain with uh, decentralized governance. So we have uh, apps for voting, apps for um, managing funds, apps for managing the governance rules that manage governing funds and voting and a bunch of other apps um, that basically take advantage of different on-chain governance functionality uh, that we built. Um, and the thing that we're working on right now is a dispute resolution protocol for blockchain-based organizations so that if uh, a smart contract developer or a decentralized protocol community that's using uh, on-chain governance tools like Aragon can't encode all of the rules and logic of their smart contracts in the smart contracts themselves, they can actually um, create human readable agreements that are then uh, arbitrated by a system of jurors, essentially, um, it, in case of any disputes. And we can dive into more about like how this works and, and, and what all of these things mean um, later, um, but that's what we're working on at a high level. So building tools for people to create their own DAOs and other types of blockchain-based organizations, and then building a dispute resolution tool in case those organizations ever get into any disputes that can't be resolved using smart contracts alone. Okay. I'm gonna start this off with an interesting question. What have you learned sucks when trying to use blockchain for governance and governance type tools? Uh, it's not easy and you've been here, you know, arguably from the very beginning 
Aragon has been a, a large player in the field of trying to build decentralized organizations and the tools for people to do that type of stuff. I'd imagine you've come across some hurdles along the way. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, I think I think the most acute issue at the moment is gas fees. So this summer, Ethereum gas prices almost hit a thousand way uh, at some points, um, which translates into voting. Like each each time a single person, like a member of one of these DAOs, like cast a vote, it would cost them 20, 30 bucks, maybe more. Um, and, and that's, you know, it, it would have to be a pretty like critical vote for somebody to be willing to spend 30 or 40 bucks worth of gas to, uh, to, you know, cast their vote. So, um, gas prices are, I think one of the most yep. pressing challenges right now. Um, another challenge would be probably smart contract security. Um, so we haven't had any um, vulnerabilities that have been exploited on mainnet. Um, there have been some uh, like minor vulnerabilities that we found in patch, um, but uh, nonetheless, you know, building smart contract systems that manage potentially hundreds of millions of dollars at this point worth of value maybe even billions of dollars, um, depending on what day it is, uh, for other people in a non-custodial way um, with all of that code just out there in public on the blockchain waiting to be exploited if a vulnerability is found, it's a, it's a really big responsibility. And so um, I think making sure that the, the code we're developing and shipping is, is solid um, is is definitely really important, and uh, you know it's it's an ongoing challenge uh, because you know the uh, EVM itself is is constantly evolving. So we have to kind of evolve along with it. Hmm. It kind of like, I mean, maybe I'm speaking out of pocket, but it feels like if you're an Ethereum developer, you're like. A game developer that's constantly developing on a on a console that changes every day. So it's like, holy shit, like I had that whole level built that I spent two weeks building that level and then they changed the console. Shit. Now I gotta rebuild the level again. Like that's just what that's the vibe that I'm starting to pick up. Um is that even accurate, John? I uh, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it doesn't change every day, but, but it does, it does change. So like back in December, um, there was a hard fork on Ethereum, uh, December, just you know, last year, um, 2019, there was a hard fork called Istanbul and Istanbul actually broke, um, every org Aragon organization that existed before then, um, mm. in a way that was irreparable. So we had to let people know ahead of time, like weeks or months, as, as, as far ahead of time as, as we found out about this issue, like, hey, this hard fork that's going to happen, it's, it's going to break your DAO. Um, and so the mitigation strategy was for us to um, change the contracts, push out you know, new software updates, and then just have people create a new DAO and transfer everything over um, from the old DAO to the new DAO. And so um, 
you know, luckily back then gas prices weren't so expensive, so it wasn't too painful uh, for people to do that. Um, for folks who did set up an organization before that breaking point. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a pain. You know, your your unstoppable organization has been <laughs> spoiled. Stopped. Uh, <laughs> <it> stopped. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, it, we just we just got to roll with the roll with the changes and and adapt. You know, it's, it's a fast moving space. And, Who didn't um, get the memo, man? Is it, is it like some? There's got to be some people that had a company running. It was going. They thought it was automatic. And then it just got distributedly fucked by Istanbul. Yeah. So like, well, well, I, I, I do want to. That's a good opportunity to like maybe pinpoint the exact issue. So, um, it, it's not like after Istanbul, people's DAOs just stopped working. It was a specific like if you use DAO in a very specific way. Um, for example, I think the most likely scenario where somebody could potentially have lost money there was if they were using an Aragon organization and that Aragon organization used one of our apps called the agent app. Um, and the agent app is basically an app that Aragon organizations can use to interact directly with other smart contracts on Ethereum. So for example, if an Aragon organization wanted to open a CDP, a maker CDP, uh, back in 2019, because that's what they were called at the time. <laughs> um, if an Aragon organization wanted to open a CDP before agent, Aragon organizations would have had to like withdraw the funds to a normal EOA or a multi-sig account or something. And then that account would open a CDP and there would be some like intermediary process there. But with the agent app, we enabled Aragon organizations to directly like vote, have the membership vote to open a CDP directly from the organization's treasury and get a maker loan. And so if an Aragon organization had done that before Istanbul and had a CDP open, then after Istanbul, they would not have been able to close their CDP. And so all of their ether that was in the CDP would have been permanently stuck and perhaps eventually liquidated if the CDP became under collateralized. And so we basically scanned the blockchain to look for all instances of organizations that might have been affected. And we did our best to get in touch with everyone. And to the best of my knowledge, I think we were actually able to get in touch with everyone who would have been affected. And so, as far as I know, nobody lost money from that. But you know, it, I think it, it it was just a it was just a side effect of how early we were that we only had a few hundred organizations at the time, and the community was small enough that we could like kind of figure out you know who who actually controlled these organizations. But you know, if this was something that happened like maybe even this year or next year, like. You just hope people. You just hope people hear about it, right? <laughs> but, Speaking uh, of like incredibly large updates, but I would consider an incredibly large update or change to Aragon is is, is your move from uh, Ant V one to Ant V two or A N T. 
uh, you're, you're upgrading the token itself. Uh, and it's, mm -hmm. it's some, some serious changes in terms of how it operates or what it does for the end user. Can you talk a little bit about that? And this is kind of near and dear to my heart because I work for status and we're also uh, a Minimi token. And so I'm kind yeah. of curious, like why you did this and what you've done and like and what it's going to like, what benefits it has for the users. Yeah. So ANTV2 is a totally new uh, token contract and we've built a mechanism that enables people to kind of seamlessly migrate from ANTV1 to ANTV2. Um, the migration tool was actually just released today. Um, so good timing for this interview. Um, and the reason that we did this upgrade, the main, there are a few reasons, but I think the main reason is just that when we created the Minimi token, this was like 2017, which in blockchain time is eons ago. And the technology around ERC-20s has just, it's advanced since then. Um, we I'm not can, even sure if ERC-20 was coined at the time that Minimi came out. That's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure about the exact timeline. I do know that this was called mini, it was called a mini me token at the time. I don't know if ERC-20 was a thing yet um, in, in May of 2017. But um, in any case, uh, the main improvement that ANT holders are going to get from this is cheaper transfers. So the magic of the mini me token is that it has a built-in snapshotting feature, which is really useful for voting, um, which is the primary like use case of, of uh, Aragon and governance tokens like ANT. So with a normal ERC-20 token, there has to be some sort of, like you would basically have to lock a normal ERC-20 token in a wrapper that has snapshotting capabilities so that when a vote starts, there's a snapshot that's taken and it said the snapshot basically tells other smart contracts like a voting smart contract. The, the bat, the eight, like this address had this balance of tokens at this block. And, and, and this is the balance that we are going to use to calculate voting power when, when this address goes to vote. If you didn't have that snapshotting feature, then during a vote, people could just vote multiple times and it, like, you know, inflate the vote supply. Yeah, they vote with one account um, and then transfer those funds to another account, vote again with that account, transfer those funds to another account, then do it exactly. keep doing again, kind of ad nauseum. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, the same way, you know, cryptocurrency solves the double spending problem, snapshotting like this solves the double voting problem. Um, and so Minimi built this snapshotting functionality into the tokens so that users don't have to like wrap their tokens before they vote. They can just vote right away. Um, um, and with the new ANT token, um, which is basically a, a, I think it's a, a fork, a direct fork of the uni token that just launched. Um, we, we no longer have the built-in snapshotting feature. Um, instead, we are going all in pretty much on a new voting functionality with off-chain snapshotting and on-chain execution. And we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, 
But um, just by getting rid of the snapshotting capabilities and some of the other, um, I don't want to call it baggage because it's, it's not, these aren't bad ideas. It's, it's, it's a great, it's great technology for what it is, but, but you know, some of the other like weight that mini me tokens are carrying around, we're able to strip that out, get down to the basic essentials for what we need for, for a and T at this stage of the game. And we've gotten gas, uh, requirements for transfers from like 120,000 gas or something like that down to, I think the last transfer I saw was in the neighborhood of like 35,000 gas. So token, like the cost to transfer the token is now 25% of what it used to be. Um, and that, you know, alone is like a, a, a really big motivator. Um, there are a few other features of the the new ANT token. I would have to look at the announcement blog post uh, to get off the top of my head. Another one uh, that just came to mind was a uh, gasless transfers. So uh, the new ANT token uh, basically has uh, meta transactions functionality kind of like built in natively. So um, if you're using the token in a wallet that supports meta transactions. Um, I think this just makes it um, easier to do that. Awesome. And meta, meta transactions for folks who don't know is, is basically where you're able to hold this token uh, in this example, you know, ANT V2 in your wallet um, and transfer that token to somebody else without having to have ether to pay for gas. Instead you have uh, like an off chain system of relays that will take a small portion of the transaction that you're doing in a and T and then, you know, convert that to ether and pay ether on your behalf. So for certain classes of users who don't want to have to like think about, Oh, do I have enough ether to pay for gas? Like it's just one extra thing they you know, users have to like keep in their head instead with meta transactions, users can just have whatever the tokens they actually want to hold in their wallet and they can pay gas using those tokens instead of having to constantly top off their wallet with ether. Mm. Okay. So good. Follow me on this journey real quick, John. All right. So Jesse and I, we're going to go have these on a Tesla. All right. And Wait, what? <laughs> you've already agreed to this. I don't know why you're acting shocked, but we're going to go have these on a Tesla. And uh, we want that Tesla to be its own taxi service. We're going to call it Tuber. We're going to get the uh, truck, right? So we're definitely going to get the truck. We've already had this discussion, Jesse. I don't know where you're acting so brand new right now. All right. How do I forget? Um, we're gonna, it's going to be a self-driving taxi service called Tuber uh, because we're original. Um, and then Jesse got real original. He wanted to put the two dots over the U. I was like, cool, whatever. So anyways... Um, can me, Jesse, and our Cybertruck be members of a DAO? Um, yeah, sure. That's all I need. As long as, as long as you each have a key that can sign transactions and, and vote on proposals, for sure. So then, then the burden is on us to assure that our Tesla's smart enough to know when to bring up a vote. If it needs another Tesla or like if it needs like 
I guess what I'm trying to say is how does the how how would an average user implement um Aragon? Why would they need to? What why would they need it in their wallet? Um could they use it to start Tuber? Like what like what walk us through that process. Cause I feel like we've said a lot of things here today, but honestly a lot of them are, are like, you know, A and T. They're not they're not things that a layman is gonna pick up on. So let's bring the layman into this conversation. You remember, remember the token like a few shows ago that I was telling Corey, hey, remember those honey tokens that are worth like eleven hundred dollars? And he's like, I don't even remember that. Remember that? Yeah, I remember, remember that. that. They they're using Aragon for their DAO. Honey. They're is. called Hive. The people who made honey, yeah. Hive. One one hive, right? Yeah, one hive. Yeah. Oh, cool. okay. Yeah. So the the way that they structure all their decision making, like they have proposals that they use Aragon for in order to, you know, basically choose what to start developing on next or like random stuff. I'm sure, you know, John can speak more to that. But yeah, for our tuber service, we could we could figure out, yeah, when we want to add maybe like another another cyber truck too yeah like i could imagine i could imagine basically that you guys have you know your aragon dow set up and um your cyber truck is out there earning money you know shuttling people around and every time they pay their their money instead of going into a bank account where one of you guys has the the golden keys to uh you know run off with the money instead uh, that revenue is going into your Aragon DAO and then you guys have to decide what to do with it. You know, maybe you, one of you guys puts up a proposal to spend some money on advertising. Maybe one of you guys puts up a proposal to, you know, put a down payment on another cyber truck. Um, and, and you guys have to deliberate and vote to release those funds. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, and, you know, as your cyber truck fleet grows, you're going to hire people and they might get a voting token so that they can, you know, vote on proposals and, you know, create new proposals themselves. And the organization just kind of like organically grows and adds members. And then it might break up into little sub organizations, you know, you've got sub organization that's operating this city sub organization that's operating another city pretty soon you've got a big you know decentralized competitor to to uber um mm. i don't know there's a there's a bunch of different ways that you know that could go but um you know i think that today aragon is probably best not necessarily for you know governing uh like real world assets um like like cars but more so assets and other like resources that exist on the blockchain because smart contracts are aware of things that are on the blockchain um and so any governance rules that you set up using aragon um over you know how assets can be moved around, who has the right to do that, under what conditions, and so on and so forth. You know, all of those rules can be enforced on chain. Mm. And, um, and so I think that 
some of the most successful organizations, Aragon organizations that exist today are organizations in the DeFi space. And ca calling them organizations is almost like, it's, a, it's, it's almost like a misnomer because it's not really an organization, certainly in a traditional sense. It looks, these organizations look more like Bitcoin or Ethereum in the way that they are kind of decentralized. Um, and you have this very like software centric model for um, have like intermediary, intermediating relationships between people. Um, so these organizations look much more like a protocol than they do like a company, for example. Um, and so I think if you look around the DeFi space, uh, you see a lot of these DAOs popping up doing on-chain governance. You've got, I think Maker is probably like the OG, um, one of the most long-lasting and successful DAOs that operates like on Ethereum. Um, and then you've got, uh, I think, organizations like Aragon or like Status that are kind of like moving in the direction of DAO, uh, where you've got people intermediating through smart contracts, through protocol, like on-chain protocols, um, and, and governing themselves that way, rather than relying on like an LLC or a foundation or something that, that exists off chain to, to um, mediate these relationships and resolve disputes. And, and, and more recently we've, we've seen a, a new crop of these, you know, DAOs, uh, mm. these decentralized protocols that are governed on chain, like compound um, obviously with the, the Uniswap, uh, airdrop that recently happened, like uni is going in this direction. Um, and there's a, a bunch of others. I mean, like almost, it seems like almost every single DeFi protocol, you know, that started depending on a company and relying on a company is going in this direction of, of on-chain governance and, and, you know, getting the control out of the hands of the founders and, and early team members and, and giving that control to the community. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think this is a good direction, um, you know, going from, you know, CD Fi to, you know, actually DeFi. Um, uh, but obviously, you know, there's going to be some bumps along the way and we've already seen some of that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think the people who are making like an honest go at it are, are, are going to probably have the most, uh, the most success, um, compared to projects that like hold on to that you know centralized power um which i think is just going to result in um headaches down the line is everybody trying to go in the direction of dow to avoid future legality issues to increase productivity of their organizations or to value signal to investors what like I guess what is what are out of those three, which one do you think like the direction of of going like uh 
of where things are going, do you think that there really is the underlying motivation? I th I think it's I think it's a few things in terms of the most motivating. I would say the legal question uh, might be the most motivating factor. Um, another is just getting rid of the bus factor, right? Like if if the if the guy holding the admin keys gets hit by a bus, what's going to happen to this protocol holding hundreds of millions of dollars worth of other people's money? Um, but you know, having having control so greatly centralized as you know some protocols have done in the past and and are still doing today is, is also a legal liability it's a real legal mm -hmm. liability and so i think by turning over control to the community um you're at least like decentralizing this liability if not like eliminating it because there's no like one person or even like a small group or a legal entity that you know, regulators can go to if somebody raises a, a flag over the, you know, what these protocols are doing, or if there's a hack and somebody's looking for, you know, someone to point the finger at, uh, to blame and sue, um, you know, if, if, if you go to, you know, the founders of the project and they're like, I have no control over this, like literally, like look at the code. Um, you know, I'm just a software publisher. Um, in most jurisdictions, software publishing is is unregulated for the most part. So um, it's a it's a good position to be in when you can just say I'm a software publisher and not I'm a custodian of either directly or indirectly through like a multi-sig or something, billions of dollars of other people's money. Um, so it's really, and, so it's really like a, like a, this, the biggest strength of a DAO is to offload that risk onto people buying yeah, it. It, it, it mitigates risk on, um, the organization itself in a lot of ways. It also gives, like, I don't know, when we first started all these things, like that's, cause I'm a, I'm, I'm a part of communities that are like this. It was, uh, we're trying to build something that's a protocol that is basically a community. And when you have all of the funds and the power to move those funds held in the, few, in the very few, it's it's not that's that wasn't the, the the intended goal. It was just that was the best way to manage the risk at that time because these tools weren't developed very well yet. It's always been our goal to allow the community who uses and builds uh, on 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 the platform to have control over what gets built and how it gets paid for and so on and so forth. Like, yeah. in order for this stuff to work in any way, shape, or form, there has to be a vibrant community and value flow within that community. And if that's and that's never going to be done if it's created from a few people. And so, but you need tools like this in order for that to happen. I got to push back. Why wouldn't you want the value flows to be relegated to a few people? Did I not just say that? No, I mean you said that like that's what you do want. Why that you don't want like everybody and their ma to have a decision on what the money does and doesn't do. It needs to well, be if the system is if the majority of the system is built out. The the peripheral things that get built on top of that and the improvements should shouldn't be decided upon a very small perspective of. Uh, of people, right? So if you have two people or three people or three people making decisions on what money gets allocated to what, 
when there's an open sea of development that can happen, you're like going to basically build a few of the possible things that are available and then not care about any of the desires from anybody else. It's much better to have at least signaling from everyone to come through in terms of what should be built or what people need and want in a platform that can provide a tremendous amount of benefit in a myriad of ways. Right. And a lot of what these like initial protocols, at least in the Ethereum space, a lot of them are trying to do was build something very general that caters to a lot of different people and then allow the people to figure out what they want and what they need. And then that get built. But like, you can't do that if like, it's just someone from the mountaintop doling out what should be done. That's the signal has to come from everyone. And then whoever, and then whoever is able to answer that stuff based on how strong that signal is should be able to be able to do that. So you need like this open value flow as well as like open signaling or voting or governance on how this stuff moves. And it's, and it's different with every organization. Like it, for some, that's they, they would prefer to have that, but they'd like to be transparent on how those votes get made, uh, as well as like an audit trail on how those votes get made. I don't know, man. I just feel like there's a very small applicability to this line of this philosophy because, oh, I mean, that's new. basically like saying like, okay, someone who's screwing in rivets on the Toyota Camry factory floor is like, you know what we should do? We should spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to move this big ass machine over here because it's more comfortable for me. So I don't, so I can lean that way instead of this way. And now they all of a sudden have a decision in millions of dollars of money flow of no. It's cash still, there's still associated weight, right? There's not like it's not like everybody gets equal weight. It's just it's not equal. Though. It's it's distributed oh, based on okay. Yeah, like you can and you can change that too. It's not always you can you know if you don't. Uh, quadratic don't, voting don't or whatever worry, you want to do. Capitalism isn't going anywhere. There's still going to be yeah. inequality. This is just cool. <laughs> I mean, you can, well, you can have you can have democratic DAOs, right? With one person, one vote. You can have economically weighted DAOs so that you know bigger investors have more voting weight than smaller investors. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think what Corey was trying to say is is that like you know like it's not like one person can put their hand up and, and shift the entire direction of the organization. Uh, like, I mean, you could <laughs> set up your governance rules like that, but that sounds like uh, a recipe for chaos. Instead, there would mm -hmm. be like a process for them to build support for their proposal to move the machine to another part of the factory. And if other people, if enough other people think that's a good idea, then that'll happen. But, you know, if most people are just like, man, you're crazy, just get back to work um you know then it's not going to happen and um and so you know it, it it works like like any other uh you know organizational governance in in that way um whether you're Hard talking about a democratic organization like you know your local government or whether you're talking about uh like a a, a more uh economically weighted organization like a traditional you know, company like a c corporation um and and so it's uh, I think that, you know, the the principle that that Corey is getting at is this idea of like the wisdom of the crowds. Right. Where you 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 don't want mm -hmm. uh, or, or not necessarily that you, you don't want, um, you know, just a small number of people making decisions, because sometimes that can just be the most effective way to get things done. But that. Um, you know, in these kinds of communities, particularly, you know, communities where there's a lot of creativity involved um, in, in solving problems, what research has shown is that oftentimes crowds produce even better answers to, to problems than 
uh, so-called experts on you know the same topic um and in you know this concept is called like the wisdom of the crowds so like with DAOs, um in theory at least uh what you're able to tap into with the governance of these protocols is that wisdom of the crowds phenomenon and and, and help drive these protocols in the most positive productive profitable whatever the motivation there is direction um, for the evolution of those protocols rather than having a very like insular elite group of people kind of making decisions that you know even if they think they have everybody else's best interests in mind they just don't they lack the diversity of perspective that would really help you know uh, the organization excel and, and succeed um, and so I think that's that's another motivating factor here. You know, aside from just the the question of you know distributing like legal liability, it's also like distributing decision making power in service of you know tapping into that wisdom of the crowds, and and really like I think another you know thing that Corey mentioned is like community. Like if you just have a very small group of people making all the decisions for everybody, that doesn't feel like a community. It feels like a, a dictatorship or feudalism, um, whereas this is more, you know, like everyone kind of has a say, everyone has a chance to speak up, put a proposal on the table, rally support from their peer group and, and you know, try to get things done. Um, um, and you can even build organizations in such a way that they are biased to action rather than, you know, having to put every single decision to a vote. You have people who can, you know, uh, uh, act first and ask for permission late or, or uh, ask for forgiveness later, right? Um, but uh, you know, there's a since these are smart contracts on a Turing complete blockchain, there's a lot of freedom and flexibility in how you how we can do this. Um, but but I think that's what a lot of these you know early DAOs are going for is they're going for you know, like they don't want a few people to be exposed to legal liability. They don't want a few people to uh, be exposed to security uh, concerns, you know, whether that's the $5 wrench attack or, or whether that's just, you know, uh, insider threats, whatever. Uh, they, and they don't want a, just a small number of people making all of the decisions and, you know, making, you know, kill, killing the vibe in the community and, and, you know, saying, oh, we're the ones that have all the answers. You all just wait for us to make the decisions and, and, uh, and, and eventually you'll get your, you know, 10 X or whatever you're looking for. Um, you know, you really want the community, like these, these people, I think really want the community to be involved and f have a sense of ownership over how these, protocols or, or organizations are evolving. All right. I'm cool with it. I just had to push back. Somebody's got to yeah, push back. Right. Right. We right conversation. Get owned. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. I think you have to have the right fit for the right. Like it's gotta be, there's gotta be cultural. There's gotta be a heavy technical understanding. There's gotta be, uh, there, there have to be the, the the puzzles have to fit, and that's why I think so few companies are doing it and doing it well. Uh, because you're, you're the right puzzle pieces don't sure. fit, then it just doesn't. 
I mean, you mentioned a lot, like there's got to be certain, a lot of times with see corporations, there is an economic weight to whoever gets to speak in the room. And the person like, look who's, at one it's like 60% yeah. of all the tokens, I think right now in circulation are owned by the developers. So for all intents and purposes, everybody else is just along for the ride. Like they're really making all the development decisions. Yeah. yeah. It sounds, it's awesome because to me, what it sounds like is what you built. Is, it really just sounds like a tool. Like, you know, there's lots of people that try to build companies and they don't have these things well thought out. And so with Aragon, at a minimum, you're forced to think about these kinds of structures and communication flows and power groups. And and uh, that's kind of cool. I think that is kind of cool because a lot of people who start companies, they're just like, we got a name. We got it. <laughs> we, we got a name. We're in there. So, I mean, that we got a name and I'm the boss and yeah, everyone, everyone, everyone fall in line. That's right. (laughs) Me, it's Jesse. It's me, you and that truck. And we're calling it tuber. That's all we need, baby. That's it. (laughs) It'll be interesting. Um, So going back to like one of the problems that you were talking about when Corey asked you, what are some difficulties that Aragon has faced or is constantly facing? One of the things I was just wondering about is I guess when you mentioned that and V2 had like reduced gas costs, gas fees rather by, you know, 25%, that kind of reminded me, I think I'm not sure if one inch that, uh, that they did it first with their chai or Kai gas token, but I don't know if it's like a similar technology, what you guys used um, that eventually. No, we just, we just cut the code size down. So it's just it just takes fewer operations to perform a, a given transfer, and so it costs less gas. Is it, do you know if like if that's what they did as well though? No. So like, well, I, I mean, I can't speak to you know what kind of smart contract op, uh, optimizations that One Inch has done, but but I do know that they stocked up on gas tokens while gas prices were cheap, yeah. and they're able to now cash those in and when gas prices are high and um you know get like kind of give give their users a a discount on gas i see so like gas tokens is like (laughs) really interesting uh technology some you know some developers aren't too keen on it because it kind of messes with the supply and demand uh dynamics of of the gas market but you know, like basically with gas tokens, you're almost able to like store gas for later when it's cheap. It's yeah. like future. You, you buy it's, you buy a bunch of gas yeah, tokens when futures. gas prices are yeah. Basically, you buy a bunch of gas tokens when you know gas is like one guay or you know right now I think I I saw prices this weekend like fifteen guay, right? So you're gonna load up on gas tokens now. Like you'll spend a few hundred bucks on it. And then when gas prices go back up to a hundred way or a thousand way, or, you know, some crazy next time, you know, there's a bubble and you need to, you know, get in, get your arb, get your arbs in and, you know, go hundred X on DYDX or something like that. Like you can front run everyone else. Cause you can, you can, you know, cash in your gas tokens and, and, and jump into the next block real quick for super cheap. Um. So, genius. you know, if like there's any any like uh, plans for is any is anybody working on like an idea where you can 
like hot swap the underlying like instead of using ethereum smart contracts like i know there are a few other uh blockchains that are using you know some similar um smart contract functionality could you like have like hot swappable layer one like i don't know if is that like even a thing what do you mean like for instance like let's say you wanted to use um what's would 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 algorand be like a like an addition so like say you use their smart contract functionality right so you just hop from whatever technology is is most expensive at the time you switch to whatever is the cheapest so oh yeah, yeah. good question yeah. um i see where you're going with that you like um, an inter interoperability like language like i guess whatever polka dot is developing or clarity or whatever like to to make those swaps or those hops rather yeah um i mean i think the the main challenge with uh like cross chain interactions um particularly for protocols like defi which which are what which is what are, are, is like driving up the gas price, or at least it, it was over the summer, um, is, is this idea of like composability and, and more importantly, like liquidity. So like if all of the liquidity in, in the markets that you're trying to like trade on or, or interact with is on Ethereum, then it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if all of your money is on Algorand or on, you know, some other side chain or blockchain, whatever, um, because in order to get to the equipment, yeah, in order to get to the liquidity on Ethereum, you have to pay Ethereum gas fees. And, and so I think that the the direction that Ethereum developers are going, you know, with scalability um, is is like the direction of, of basically having an ecosystem of roll-up chains, um, which are, they're kind of like side chains and they have the, I think they have, they have the same problem basically is that you, you're going to have liquidity fragmenting between the main chain and roll-up chains. And then liquidity will further fragment between like one roll-up chain and other roll-up chains. Um, but I think the reason why this might work and like why, why, like why this is, you know, a better option than just, you know, using different L1s to begin with is, is that, um, first off, it's, it's a, it's a native transfer from Ethereum to a rollup. So you're inheriting some of Ethereum's security properties, which is nice. Um, like these other L1 chains, like they're ghost towns for the most part. Um, you're basically trusting VCs not to run off with your money. Um, and whereas, you know, Ethereum is a, is a more solid foundation, um, you know, certainly compared to some of the other like new L1s that are launching. Um, so like having, you know, inheriting some of Ethereum security properties is nice. Um, but also like if, if you have, let's say part of the DeFi ecosystem, like Uniswap, uh, maybe Compound, Synthetics, Maker, and a couple of other like big protocols that the most of the volume is like concentrating around move to one roll-up chain. And that's just like DeFi, the DeFi neighborhood, right? You can, if, then if all you're interested in is DeFi, you can transfer your funds to the DeFi roll-up and do all of your transactions the the gas costs are going to be much cheaper because you're not competing with people who are 
registering ENS names. You're not competing with people who are doing Aragon DAOs. You're not competing with people who are managing their crypto kitties. You know, like that roll up is just for people who are doing DeFi stuff. And so your gas costs are going to come down significantly. In addition to the fact that you, these rollups might just support more transactions per second anyway. And so all else being equal, gas fees should be cheaper on these rollups. Um, and same thing for people who are into NFTs. So like there's going to be, there, there could be a rollup that's just for people who collect NFTs. And then the people who are breeding crypto kitties and creating in-game items for Decentraland and, and, a bunch of other things that could be happening on the NFT rollup. They're not competing for block space with people who are doing DeFi stuff and people who are doing like voting and all of, you know, all of the other like random things that people are doing on, on Ethereum. And so I think that this vision makes sense for like near term to midterm, like scaling yeah. needs. Um, but um, you know, long term, it's not a probably not a long term solution. Still, well, something probably. you need to add, you need to think about here in terms of any any multi chain scenario, mm-hmm. whether it be layer one to layer two or layer one to layer one, or whatever else we come up with in the future and what we call them. Uh, whenever you swap an asset from one to another, um, and it has a, like a, a different chain and potentially and a different consensus on that chain of some sort, you're going to be subjugated or, or with or held at the limit of the slowest chain. It's gonna take you as long as the slowest chain it is to confirm to have your assets on the larger chain if you wanna have the same, like the right security. Mm-hmm. And so like when you talk about a lot of these DeFi things are kind of, when any any type of composability, you break all of that because you have to be subjected to the lower, the the the, the time frame of the slowest chain. The and yeah, there's, no, there's no real way of getting around that. Your chemistry reaction, yeah. yeah. So you have to wait for the checkpoints for the for the rollups or whatever the settlement times of the slower chain, yeah, to get real confirmations, right? Mm. All right, it's going to be interesting figuring, like seeing seeing what sorts of incentivization schemes are going to have to be made for people to start differentiating whether they identify as like governance. Um, I guess governance transactions, like in, in order to break apart, like all the congestion. It's just going to be interesting to see how that eventually manifests. Manifests. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think users are going to um, users are going to just in in a lot of cases probably just follow the path of least resistance, um, and then other users are going to be more opinionated about you know, the security model that their funds are subjected to. Um, and, and you know, how they might be more price sensitive in terms of, you know, how much they're willing to pay for gas and things like that. And so I think it's, I think it's just good that we have, you know, these emerging solutions and that, and that people aren't stuck with fewer options. Like we had, you know, in 2017, where basically everything was pushed to the max and there was like nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. You just, you just gritted your teeth and like pushed through it or you were like, okay, I guess I'm just not sending any transactions today. Um, and you know, at least now we have these like pressure valves that, that people can use to like alleviate some of the the pressure on the main chains 
and uh, and there there's like there's a solution in sight for scalability, um, at least for the, I like the you way know, you put foreseeable that. future. Pressure valves. That's a good. That's a very good analogy. Um, well, we're gonna ask our trademark question. Hope you're ready for this shit, John. In ten words or less, can you describe blockchain? Or should I go with Ethereum? What do you think? What do you think, Corey? Describe Bitcoin or blockchain or Ethereum. I'll do Bitcoin. I'll do Bitcoin. Oh, oh man, yeah? blockchain. Yeah. Um, how to describe blockchain? I mean, you want to hear a good one that somebody gave us? What was that? Crystallized robot sweat. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that. That was a that was a Patrick, right? Yeah, I think it was. Listen, yeah. listen. <laughs> I like I like I, I liked that one. Yeah, it was. It was like Bitcoin was crystallized robot sweat. Um, yeah. yeah, blockchain though. Wow, ten words or less. Um, you can do Bitcoin if you want. There's really no rules here. Okay, great. Because uh, blockchain is hard to explain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, other than Patrick's amazing answer, which I don't think I could top because that's just that blew my mind when I heard it. Um, I, I have to steal from Satoshi because really, I think Satoshi thought of almost everything. Like if you go back and you actually read the Satoshi archives, he he pretty much thought of everything. And 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 so I I, I have to go back to the very OG original. You know, description of Bitcoin, 10 words or less, Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. I don't know that I could describe it any more succinctly than that. Um, unless the, and, unless the, um, the mempool is too high, then it doesn't become cash anymore. <laughs> I mean, it, it depends. Uh, it depends on how you define cash. I think that when... Satoshi called Bitcoin a, a, an electronic cash system. Satoshi was referring to the fact that Bitcoin transactions are computationally difficult to reverse. Um, so it functions a lot more like cash payments than it does like a credit card because credit cards are ir easily reversible. Mm -hmm. um, and this is this is like you know he spends like the first half of the white paper pretty much explaining you know why uh, electronic payments up until Bitcoin uh, had to be reversible, um, and it's yeah. because everything had to go through a central intermediary, and because you know there was this intermediary, inevitably pressure gets put on them by governments, by customers. Yeah by uh, regulators to to you know fix problems of fraud and theft and so they they get forced to build reversibility into their systems and this creates all kinds of problems that Satoshi uh, you know described and, and so he said you know we what what we need is a system built on cryptographic uh, proofs instead of trust and 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 in doing you know in in thinking through like how how that would actually work he built a uh, bitcoin which is an electronic cash system where you know, once you pay somebody and you know the tra the transaction is confirmed 
um, there, there's a like and the more confirmations that get built on top of that, you're extremely unlikely to have that you know transaction yeah. reversed. I love your um, commitment so to it. I think as long as you pay a high enough fee, you know, even if the mempool is clogged, if you can outbid other people, Bitcoin will be electronic cash. Yeah. I, I, I like your commitment and I have to say I side with you there just because, I mean, cash is meant to make things easy, but not necessarily fast. Like I paid someone in cash today for something. They provided a service for me. I paid them in cash. If I were to go to that person tomorrow and be like, what are you laughing at, Jesse? Like you Sorry, have to have sort I, of <laughs> miscreant <laughs> like shows together. Like I, I just have like thought <laughs> like I'm sort of degenerate. No, like. I gave me a service. I gave him cash. If I go to him tomorrow and I'm like, hey, I need that cash back. He's going to go, no, fuck you. I'm going to go, no, but for real, I need it back. And he's going to go, no, fuck you. And so the process to get that cash back is going to be long, right? And it's going to be drawn out. And there's no reversing it. It's done. I took the cash is no longer in my hand. It's in that gentleman's hand. And it ain't coming back. So I I like that. I like (laughs) I side with that. And I mean, now we have lightning, right? So lightning kind of gives you like both. It gives you irreversibility and super cheap, super fast transactions um, with uh, not quite identical, but very close to the same Mm -hmm. security assurances as, you know, layer one Bitcoin. Um, And so, you know, I'm I'm really excited about about layer two stuff. and anyways, Bitcoin is peer-to-peer electronic cash. Nice. A little birdie told me Lightning's about to drop its new mixtape. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, anyway, thank you, John, for swinging by the show. Um, you know, I think it's a great conversation. Uh, you guys should check out Aragon. We actually have a DAO. We have the Bitcoin Podcast Network DAO. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah. We we try to get it going, and then like, I don't know, it just ended up being me and Corey having to. There's no need. We just 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 ask each other questions, and then yeah, made the decisions. Yeah, <laughs> figure out how to invite the community, so we just fucking just sits there. Yeah, but anyways, thank you, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys. And we're back. We're just gonna wrap up. Really hope you enjoyed that interview with Mr. John Light. Uh, I hope he comes back soon because it just started to get juicy like a ribeye right as we had to end it because it was getting a little bit long. Um, so what you need to do is join our Slack and go to the Bitcoin dot com. All right. And push the button that says Slack and then follow the instructions. You can join the Slack. You can join the conversation. There are a lot of people in that Slack that are benefiting greatly just from the depth and the breadth of conversation, as well as there have been several people that have learned so much. They've even jumped the shark. I don't think that's the right phrase. Jump the. That is not the right phrase. What's the phrase? Jump the. Uh, leapfrogged. They leapfrog. No, like when you when you you're trying to get into something and you can't, but then you finally do. Say trying what? Trying to get into something. Leap the shark. Leap the. Jump the Anyways. shark is a, is a reference to like a sitcom or, or series like screwing up. It's the episode in which they screw up and they're no uh. longer good. Okay, so that is not the phrase I'm talking about. But people that have tried to leave their industry and get into crypto, which is a tough path to navigate. 
That could be one. This is a tough. <laughs> Uh, they've they've springboarded themselves from their industry into crypto and they're doing quite well and loving it. It's a very tough path. There's a lot of minefields and a lot of empty doors for those of you that like side quests. All right. But you join the Slack, you get some info, you hang around cool people. Also, please, you can become a patron on our Patreon. Um, we have tiers. Um, go read them and <laughs> you can join you can donate a little bit every month to us as we try to try to do better at what we like to do here which is kind of like inform and entertain you guys at the same time um and we're gonna be upgrading those tiers soon so like uh, you know stay abreast um with what's going on with the patreon all right jump jump the wall at least just jump the wall i don't know we're, like we're throwing out phrases heard that. um that's it that's you guys got anything? No, I'm going to go take care of this crying baby. All right, ma'am. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana, Zati Beats, and Megan the Stallion. Uh, play the outro.